What is the greatest problem facing our society today? Depending on who you talk to, you might get a variety of answers. Some would say it's political issues. You know, personally, I've never known a time where there was more divide in our country than at the present. Others would say it's environmental issues. And what about the current pandemic? I mean, surely COVID is at the top of the list. But what if I said the greatest problem facing our society is none of the above, but instead is something that begins and ends at our own front doors? I believe the greatest problem facing our society today is in the family. For the past several decades, God's design for family has been under an intentional cultural assault. Every modern movement from the sexual revolution between the 1960s and the 1980s, uh, the effort to redefine marriage and fatherlessness in the home have all eaten away at the foundational building blocks of our society. When you start to do your own homework on the issue, you realize that the damage has been significant. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.5 million children, that's more than one in four children in the United States, live without a father in the home. And that's just one statistic. Families are suffering as single parents struggle to raise their kids in the environment of broken homes. The sheer number of secular parenting books that are available today show us that parents are crying out for help as they look for answers. Couples want to know how they can salvage their marriage and heal their homes, and they're willing to look anywhere for answers. What if I told you that the answer has been there all along, lovingly recorded and preserved for us in God's word? In God lies the perfect answer to parenting, because God the Father is the perfect parent. Over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about God's instruction to fathers and mothers. Today, we're going to talk about the father's role in the home, and then next week, we'll talk about the mother's role. Now, I'm well aware that these two messages will not be politically correct, but that's okay because our stance as a Christian church is that when we're in opposition to or in disagreement with what the Bible teaches, we're the ones who are wrong. My prayer for our church family over the next two weeks is that we would be receptive to what God's word has to say about the family. Now, if you have gone through a divorce, if your kids are being raised in a single-parent home, or if you're struggling to navigate the difficult waters of parenting, I want to remind you that there's hope and healing in Christ. We're going to look at God's design for parenting. But if God's design is not an option, God can still work in hopeless situations because with God, all things are possible. He can take what's broken and incomplete and make it whole. I've seen broken families find healing when the broken people within them admit their brokenness and submit their lives to God's leading. So as we go into this message, I'd like to begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bless our time today. As we talk about a part of your design for the Father's role in the home, I pray that your word would be clear. The Holy Spirit, you would teach us. You would convict us where we need conviction, that you would encourage us uh, to be the fathers that you've called us to be. Help us look to your example as our perfect heavenly father. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen homes, that you would help us build homes by your design that glorify you and help point others to Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Men tend to be master delegators. Maybe you've noticed this at work or even in the home. You give a man a task and he can find the right person or the right group of people to complete the job. I'll never forget one of the first conversations I had with uh, Glenn Evelyn. He's a member of our church here at OCC. And uh, this is one of the first conversations I had with him after moving here to Onalaska. Um, He walked up to me and he said, "Um, if you ever need anything at all, I'd be happy to find someone who could help. (laughs) Now, Glenn was obviously maybe joking, but I think that's a good illustration. You know, countless studies have shown that men typically jump at the opportunity to delegate. There's something in men that gravitates towards a well-ordered structure. And you can't have order without proper delegation. Now, while delegation can be a wonderful thing, I mean, we delegate here at the church, you delegate in your home and at your place of work. What happens when men start to relinquish the authority and responsibility God has given them, specifically in the home? Another word for this is abandonment. And that's largely what we're seeing in homes today, even Christian homes. God has given fathers a specific role in the home, yet many fathers have decided to relinquish authority and responsibility altogether. Instead of loving and leading their families well, they end up enlisting the school. They enlist social media, video games, or even mom to do their job. This isn't the case here at OCC, but I want you to understand that the average small church in America is filled with wives, mothers, and single women, and very few men. I've heard about churches that decided to completely refocus their mission and ministries to address the sad reality that many fathers are simply not present in church and are not present in the home when it comes to spiritually leading their families. I think a lot of fathers want the benefits of marriage and the benefits that come with being a parent without having to do what it takes to fulfill the role that God has given them. In a time when many fathers are absent, the Apostle Paul reminds us where fathers should be. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. This is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. He says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So in a time when many fathers are absent, this is where fathers should be, bringing their children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. We call Ephesians a book, but it's actually a letter. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, and then it was circulated among other neighboring churches. The main purpose of this letter was to strengthen the faith of his readers and to explain the nature and purpose of the church. Ephesians can be broken down into two parts. This is a really helpful way to understand what this letter is all about. In chapters 1 through 3, we learn about our identity in Christ, so who we are. The Bible says that in Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. We're a new creation. And then in chapters 4 through 6, we learn about what we're called to do now that we're Christians. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. God has given us his message of of hope, the good news of Jesus, to spread around the world, to tell other people about. So chapters 4 through 6 tell us what we're called to do now that we are Christians. The verse that we're going to talk about today is in the second half of the letter, and it's part of a passage that addresses the relationship between children and parents. This verse specifically addresses the father's role in the home. 
Paul is pleading with fathers to spend the right kind of time with their kids, being intentional about how they train and instruct their kids in the Lord. It's important to understand that Paul's words went against everything that was considered normal and right in the first century Roman world. The Roman father was an autocrat, meaning he he acted as a ruler who had absolute authority in the home. Roman fathers would order their children around like they were cattle. There were even laws in place that would allow them to sell their children into slavery if they chose to do so. I've read some commentaries that talk about fathers applying the death penalty to their children as a form of extreme discipline. So it's in this kind of culture, this is the backdrop, that Paul is suggesting a completely different approach to parenting, specifically as it relates to fatherhood. His letter would encourage Christian fathers to be a light for Christ in a very dark time. And his words encourage fathers to do the exact same thing today. In our society, the main problem isn't primarily the abuse of authority, although there is some of that, but the absence of it. Fathers are raising the white flag in surrender and giving a number of excuses for why they feel they're not qualified to lead their families. Paul is reminding fathers that all of these excuses that we come up with are simply lies from the devil Because an earthly model for parenting isn't necessary at all. Our model as fathers is God the Father. So regardless of your upbringing, we all share the same perfect heavenly father. And because we all share a perfect heavenly father, we can all grow to be good earthly fathers. You could say we're called the father like the father. There are two parts to Paul's instruction to fathers in Ephesians 6, 4. First, we read about his negative instruction, and then we read about his positive instruction. Let's take a closer look at what he's saying by looking at each part individually. First, we have Paul's negative instruction. This is the first part of Ephesians 6, 4, where he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Do not exasperate your children. This word exasperate means to embitter or provoke. Most dads don't wake up in the morning with the goal of embittering or provoking their kids. But after a little self-examination, I think we would all recognize and admit that we do this without even thinking about it. When you're in the heat of an argument or when your kids aren't following instruction well, it's easy to exasperate them without even realizing it. I'd like to share two ways I found myself exasperating my own kids. And I want to share this with you because hopefully you can relate to it in some way. And you might be able to recognize ways that you exasperate your kids. Now, the point of this is not guilt, uh, but growth. We want to learn from the areas we fall short and allow God's word to change our lives. So first, I exasperate them by failing to allow them to be children. So I tend to make demands or comments to my kids that fail to take into consideration their inexperience and immaturity. I'll give you an example. My oldest son was recently given the responsibility of helping mow the backyard. And this is awesome because it's a little less work for me when my weeks are busy. Well, the first time he mowed, the lines were really crooked. And he lowered the mower way too much. It didn't cut the grass as well as it could have. When I first saw the yard, I was a little frustrated. Maybe a little more than frustrated. But then I realized I hadn't even taken the time to show him how to raise and lower the mower. And I hadn't really shown him how to mow straight lines. So instead of considering his inexperience, 
I was upset for something that was all my fault. He was upset, and I was upset for no reason. I'm also a little OCD when it comes to cleanliness. Maybe you've recognized this about me. Um, That's been a real struggle, especially raising four boys, because all they want to do is play outside in the dirt. Well, I've caught myself getting upset with them for nothing more than them wanting to be kids and play outside. I've exasperated my kids by failing to allow them to just be kids. Maybe you've been there. The second way I tend to exasperate my kids is by displaying favoritism and making unhelpful comparisons. Now, the Bible passage that came to mind this week is Genesis 37, verses 1 through 17. And it's here where we read about the story of Jacob, his son Joseph, and the coat of many colors. Joseph was Jacob's youngest and favorite son at the time. Genesis 37, verse 3 actually says, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So because he loved Joseph more than all of his other kids, Jacob decided to have a special gift made for him. It was a coat of many colors. And this would show that Joseph was set apart. It showed his status in the family. Now, Joseph's brothers hated him because their father loved him so much, so much more than all the rest of them. Jacob's favoritism towards Joseph exasperated his other sons and caused division and hurt in the family that lasted decades. Fathers, we need to remember that all kids are not the same. Their qualities, abilities, and interests are not the same. I've forgotten this at times and unknowingly played them against each other by saying things like, Why can't you be calmer like your brother? Or why don't you like to do some of the things your brother likes to do? Friends, the Bible reminds us that our Heavenly Father doesn't show favoritism towards us, and we should never show favoritism towards our own children. Displaying favoritism and making unhelpful comparisons will exasperate our kids, causing division and hurt in the family that can last a lifetime. Other ways parents tend to exasperate their kids is by pushing them towards the parents' goals rather than their own. Parents, we need to resist the temptation to mold our kids into our own image. I think sometimes in parenting, we act like this. We say, you know, God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life. That's not how God has called us to parent. We also neglect their emotional and spiritual needs, and sometimes we treat them as intruders in our own home. Another way we exasperate our kids is by failing to regularly affirm their value apart from performance. We talked about that in last week's message. We also have inconsistent discipline, and I'm going to speak to that later on in this message. So this is not an exhaustive list, and there are probably several things that you can think of that are unique to you and your family. But fathers, I want to encourage you to pray about these things. Ask God to give you his wisdom in parenting so that you're not exasperating your children. Well, now we come to Paul's positive instruction. So you can take a breath. This is the positive instruction. Ephesians 6, the latter part of verse 4, he says, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. The alternative to exasperating and discouraging our kids is to encourage them by bringing them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So how do we do this? Well, I'll break down the second half of this verse in three parts. The first part is this. God gives fathers the responsibility of bringing their children up. The phrase, bring them up, means nourishing or feeding in the Greek. 
Uh, This same verb is used in Ephesians 5, verse 29, which says, After all, no one ever hates his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. So the idea of physical and spiritual nourishment is clearly a priority to Paul throughout his letters. He's reminding us that, dads, we nurture and nourish our own bodies, and we're called to spiritually nurture and nourish our kids. While Paul is addressing fathers, I do not believe he's saying that the mother can't or shouldn't do these things as well. In fact, one verse that backs this up is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, which says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. So it's 2 Timothy. Paul is writing to this young pastor by the name of Timothy, and he's reminding him that Timothy's mom and grandma clearly played a major role in raising him and teaching him to know and follow the Lord. So while Paul's words in no way diminish the critical work of the mother, he is reminding his readers that fathers have the God-given responsibility of bringing their children up spiritually and emotionally feeding their kids. Friends, if God's word is not a priority in the home, we cannot expect our kids to gravitate towards biblical truth as they grow up. In fact, I would say the priorities of the father in the home often becomes the priorities of the kids. Whatever our interests are, how we spend our time, our kids are going to grab onto that. So God has given fathers the responsibility of bringing their children up. And we bring them up, we, we nourish and feed them through the training and instruction of the Lord. That leads us to the second part. And that is that God gives fathers the responsibility of training. This word training is best translated as discipline. One of the best illustrations of the meaning of this word is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 and 11. And here's what we read. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So the kind of training that Paul's talking about, this, this discipline, when done right, brings a peaceful harvest of right living in the lives of our kids when they're disciplined in this way. The word discipline in Hebrews 12 is the same exact word that Paul uses in Ephesians 6, 4 for training. Maybe you're wondering, why are fathers given the primary responsibility of training or discipline in the home? The most obvious answer is because that's the way God has designed the family to function. That's what his word says. But another reason is this. How our kids grow up to view their heavenly father is largely shaped by the actions and leadership of their earthly father. So if discipline is done correctly by the one who's the primary spiritual authority, the spiritual leader in the home, kids will grow up to have a more accurate view of their heavenly father. Again, I don't believe Paul's instruction to fathers means that the father alone bears this responsibility. Instead, the father is the leader of the team who's bringing their children up in the training of the Lord. He's meant to set the tone and the example for the rest of the family. A father's example should ultimately point the family back to Jesus and how our heavenly father is a perfect parent. And when it comes to discipline in the home, inconsistency will only breed confusion in our kids. Our kids need to know exactly where we stand 
and how we're going to respond on certain issues. I've had seasons of inconsistent discipline towards my own kids, and it never builds a stronger home. For example, if one of our kids hits one of their brothers, the discipline should be consistent instead of being driven by the kind of mood we're in as parents. If hitting a sibling means an early bedtime one day, and then the same behavior gets overlooked another, our inconsistency will only exasperate our kids and lead to confusion. I would say that inconsistent discipline is never the child's fault. It's usually the result of laziness on the part of the parent. Discipline, when done correctly, is discipleship. In fact, the word disciple is the root word for discipline. Discipline is meant to be a good thing and is needed in the home. We shouldn't shy away from discipline. The Bible tells us that God disciplines us as his children. And we're called to discipline our own kids in a way that honors God and is for their good. Hebrews 12, uh, verses 1 through 12, that entire passage, talks about God's discipline and correction in our lives and how these things prove his love for us. God's discipline and correction also remind us that we're his adopted sons and daughters. So as dads who are learning to father like the father, there should be consistent discipline in the home. Kids need discipline. If they're going to grow into the young men and women, God has created them to be. It's important that we don't discipline our kids from a place of sinful anger. This is so important. Even consistent discipline, when done wrong, can cause the family to suffer. So in our house, if I'm too upset to discipline correctly, you know, in a way that addresses the heart and not just the behavior, my wife will take over. And then likewise, if she's too upset to discipline correctly, I handle it. Fathers, I want to challenge you to take the lead in this area. God gives fathers the responsibility of training. The third part to Paul's positive instruction is this. God gives fathers the responsibility of instruction. The responsibility of instruction. So if training is more about what we do with our kids, then the second word, instruction, is more about what we say to our kids. Fathers are called to feed their kids the truth of God's word in a way that their young minds can understand. You know, as our kids grow up, they're going to test every rule and every boundary that we put in place. We all know this to be true, not just because we're parents, but because we've been there ourselves. So here, Paul is reminding his readers that God has given fathers the responsibility of instruction. Bringing your family to Sunday school and to service on Sundays, that's awesome. And we should do that. We're called to gather together as believers. But friends, the primary setting for instruction is meant to come from the home, even when it comes to the instruction of God's word. Dads, you're your family's pastor. You're pastor dad. And if your instruction is godly and complete, the result will be a home that's built on a strong foundation. But if your instruction is lacking, or if it's non-existent, the result will be confusion and chaos because of the million other truth claims that the world is trying to get your kids to buy into. And we've all heard the phrase, you are what you eat. But I would suggest that our kids are what we feed them or what we allow others to feed them. Dads, your kids will look to you first. And that's why the last three words of this verse are so important. Ephesians 6 verse 4, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, of the Lord. These three words taken together are the last word. At the end of the day, all of our training, all of our instruction must be of the Lord. 
if we're going to be successful in the role that God has given us, we ourselves must be in the Lord. Now, the most important truth, the most important lesson that God wants us to pass on to our kids, to pass on to the next generation, is the good news of God's redemptive work through his son, Jesus Christ. Fathers, if we fail to teach our kids the truth about what Christ has accomplished on the cross and how they can know and grow in Christ themselves, then all our training, all of our instruction will have been in vain. The importance of bringing our kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord cannot take a back seat to our work outside the home, our hobbies, or even sports. Instead of delegating this responsibility away or abandoning it altogether, let's be the spiritual leaders God has called us to be. Let's love and lead our families well. Now, I have a couple of resources that I'm going to share with our church family this Sunday. These have been really helpful uh, for our family. Um, The first is a website. It's focusonthefamily.com backslash parenting. If you go to Focus on the Family, there's so many great uh, biblical Christian resources that help the family at all ages and all stages. Uh, Marriage, kids, work, finances, whatever it is. So check out focusonthefamily.com, specifically their section on parenting. There have also been several books that have really helped our family over the years. When our kids were younger, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones, um, that was a great way to have a family devotional, just you know, two or three minutes before bed. Um, it goes through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and uses pictures and, uh, and teaches the Bible in a really fun way. So check out the Jesus Storybook Bible. The book Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp has probably made the biggest impact um, outside of the Bible and our family. This is a great book. I would recommend it to everybody. Starting this evening at 8 p.m., we have a brand new growth group called Practical Parenting Principles, and we're utilizing two books for this group. One is called Discipline That Connects With Your Child's Heart, and that's from Jim and Lynn Jackson. And the other is called How to Grow a Connected Family by James and Lynn Jackson. And uh, I would recommend these. Uh, We've gone through these. Um, They've been approved to use in our church. And uh, I would encourage you to check them out. Well, fathers, I want to encourage you to pray about the things that we've talked about today. Read Ephesians 6, 4 and ask the Holy Spirit uh, to teach you and to lead you, to help you live this out as you lead your families well. Let's take up the mantle, the responsibility that God has given us. Let's be the fathers that he's called us to be.